Welcome to the Mind Your Brain podcast, where I bring you inside the mind of the best athletes in the world, so you can understand the mental secrets of their success. Imagine for a moment that you have a big dream, but find out that there is no infrastructure, no resource available to you, nobody around you is doing what you want to do, and you learn that the main path to achieve your goal is absolutely unavailable to you. Would you give up? Would you lower your ambition? Most of us would. Meet my guest, Kenny Chung, air race pilot, bronze medal at the World Aerobatics, who shares his impossible journey to the top. Listen to this inspiring conversation that shows that everything you really want is accessible to you. All right. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you very much for, for being with me today. Just to introduce yourself a little bit. So um, you, you got a medal at the World Aerobatics. So that was yeah. some times ago, but you were the first person in Asia yeah. uh, to get a medal at the World, which is a, which is a pretty high achievement. Yeah. And in 2017, you became the first pilot for China and Hong Kong to compete for Red Bull Air Race. Yeah. So today I want to discuss with you about mental preparation. Uh, and of course, I want to discuss what it's like mentally to do what you're doing. Uh, but first, maybe uh, I'd like you to explain a little bit what your sport is about, because it's something very special. Yeah, so... Um I think, let me give you some key facts, is that we are racing 50 meters above the ground in usually very exotic locations, doing what most pilots, um, if they attempt to do that in their private time, we get locked up in jail, like fly under the Budapest chain bridge, for, for example. Or, and uh, we're pulling 10 Gs, traveling at almost 400 kilometers an hour uh, around for a race course. I mean, that is a job... Uh, for me, was the was my dream job, and I was very lucky to be able to do that. Um, and it's very competitive. I'm a very competitive person, and when the first and last place can be separated within maybe sometimes half a second to maximum one second, um, it's very challenging. And um, yeah, it's it's basically Formula One of the skies. So you say actually that it was a dream for you. So yeah. at what age? Did you make that a dream? Uh, when I first saw it in person, uh, which was in 2007, I believe, in London, uh, that was the first time I, I saw, I've always wanted, my dream was always to become a pilot. Uh, mm. first I wanted to be a fighter pilot, uh, fast jet, you know. Um, growing up uh, in being in Hong Kong, the options were very limited. Mm -hmm. and, and then I saw race planes racing over the Thames River in London with over the Millennium Dome. And I was like, my God, if this, I think this is even better than being a fighter jet pilot. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I then worked towards the go of becoming an air race pilot. And at the time, I was uh, very lucky to have been selected to be in a cadet program mm -hmm. with a Hong Kong airline. Um, uh, but I still remember I was saying to my uh, parents that um, I, I think 
that's not the right job for me. I, I think yeah, I want to focus on racing, and therefore that is crazy. Um, especially sure. given the infrastructure that we have in Hong Kong, um, and there's really not not even let's not talk about it, racing. I mean, there was not even any aerobatics uh, mm. happening in Hong Kong, at least in the competitive side. So, what do you think make make you special in regards to? overpassing the all this limitation because uh, you are talking about infrastructure limitation in your sport that's absolutely true uh, but there are other limitations for I mean I would say people who are not necessarily in these sports and people usually get stuck with much easier limitation and hurdles to pass but you were like that's okay it doesn't matter I'm in Hong Kong basically there is no nobody doing what you're doing but that I still do it anyway so what makes you so special I wouldn't say anything that makes me particularly special. Um, you know, looking back, what I have identified um, that I think sometimes makes me very lucky in comparison to others is that I've always had a very, very targeted goal. And, um, and by having that extremely targeted focus, it sort of, once you have that attention, Specific, specifically focusing on that one thing, then you will think about all the different options to get there. Mm. Yeah, this focus is something actually pretty exceptional, and you got this focus at a very young age. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah. So since then, I've just been finding many different ways, to, speaking to different people to try to achieve that. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't say there's anything special about. Me, it's just that, you know, I just fell in love with it and I was just focused on achieving that. So talking about different people, I think that's something quite important too. Like when I coach people, I, I, I usually recommend them to get a certain number of people around them who can really help them to go towards their goal. Um, so what kind of people would you recommend people to surrender themselves with? Uh, basically people they want to be right like if you are uh, i think you know if i wanted i was a i want to be an air race pilot um so i was focusing on i was trying to get in touch with the air race pilots um fortunately a few got back to me mm -hmm. and then i understood that um to get into the air race you have two options one is being um um, a very very good military display pilot mm -hmm. so it actually goes back to being a fast jet pilot and yeah. not only that but you have to be at your pinnacle of your career and and then to get into a display team within the military or you can come from the aerobatic scene and i thought from that point on my focus shifted to become a, a, a world champion aerobatic mm -hmm. pilot and then I surrounded my, yeah, I was um, speaking to different um, aerobatic pilots to, to achieve that goal. Yeah, that's, that's quite interesting. And what was the, the decisive moment uh, in your, I would say, in your life? At what point did you say, okay, yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm sure, I'm absolutely sure that I'm going to do that now. No doubt in my mind. Being an Aries pilot? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not... Uh, I wanted, yeah, the moment I saw it. The moment so you, I, so you I never, had a, it, never had a doubt. That's what I wanted to do, no doubt. <laughs> How to do it was, uh, yeah, it's a, you know, requires some planning and yeah. a lot of luck, I guess. Um, I, I guess when I told people that I, that's what I wanted to do, 
they all thought, you know, how is a guy from Hong Kong <laughs> with uh, very little aerobatic experience going to yeah. compete in the bow stage where guys who are doing that is their full-time job. Did you train in Hong Kong for the aerobatics or did you train yeah. in, uh, you train in Hong Kong? So how, did you, how do you train for the aerobatics in Hong Kong to get to this kind of level? Uh, because there is basically, there is no one uh, in Hong Kong who has close to the level that you wanted to achieve to teach you how to get there. Yeah, so um, because my job is um, based in Hong Kong, so uh, it limits my travel mm -hmm. options somewhat. Uh, but at the time, I was an airline pilot, uh, so that made my that also gives me gave me a lot of opportunities to travel around the world, like mm -hmm. um, America, Australia, uh, South Africa, to different locations where there was a. Um, Uh, aerobatic club and uh, there were people with the expertise and the mm. training facility to provide me with the, the basic knowledge of it um when it comes to aerobatic flying especially competition aerobatic flying there's a certain element of that it's part of muscle memory it's like driving a car so once i have obtained a certain amount of knowledge um to be sufficient enough to not kill myself when I do that because that's really a, a, that's really a, a main factor because this is a very dangerous sport you're traveling at 400 kilometers an hour straight towards the ground and pulling out at uh, 100 meters above the ground I mean sometimes even lower I mean that that in anyone's term is probably borderline insanity <laughs> yeah so um, once I've got the knowledge to try my utmost not killing myself then yeah then it just went on to the weekend you know um i was very fortunate um that um i we had the support from the hong kong aviation club mm. and um and the facilities to use to um and sometimes you know like today where the beautiful weather is in hong kong so then to, to practice becomes um yeah it's actually quite it's not a bad um training ground for to practice because it's so hot mm. it's um what sometimes it's 35 degrees 95 humidity i'm wearing a free layer fire retardant suit so actually really trains up your fitness level yeah yes probably i guess yes um so at what point did you realize that you had uh the sufficient level to compete at i would say at the world level um Well, so to give you a bit of perspective, I think um, to the criteria to and to get qualified to or to get invited for the Red Bull qualification camp is that you have to finish at the top 50% of the World Championship. Um, and so for me, that was always the objective. I, I think, you know, going into the competition, Um, especially with the experience that I had, I didn't really expect to win the championship, especially when I was competing with, as I said, the people who were professionals, right? Like uh, mm. for the France, um, the, which is the French Air Force, their full-time job is being a air display or a competition pilot. And uh, whereas I did not have that uh, luxury to do. So um, I went into the competition without really the aim of 
um, winning medals, but um, rather than just is it was experience building exercise. I was very very surprised when I actually won the first medal. Um, I, yeah, I really didn't expect really? it. Um, when the result came, um, I put a lot of hard work in it. But um, yeah, to get that result, it was in, in some way because that was my also my first ever competition. Was it? Um, yeah, that was my the, the the medal was awarded for my first flight, first competition in in a world um, championship. Uh, that, was, that happened in South Africa. So yeah, that was really you know um, then then the pressure that led to that right like suddenly a new guy. I was the only guy from Asia. The youngest competitor at the time, I think I was 24. Um, I, I was suddenly at the top three with a really good shot of winning the championship. Mm. You know, that was also a, a different kind of pressure that you, um, yeah, that I never expected to have. So how do you did, how do you deal with this pressure that comes from the expectation? You got your race, you're pretty new. So yeah. I mean, at this point, I guess you don't. Have, of course, you want to win like everybody everybody else, or you yep. want to do well, but. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if you don't win. I mean, that's your first race. And then all of a sudden, bam, you win. So what got through your mind at this point? Uh, excitement. Um, I, 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 it was a learning process. So with the World Championship, um, I won. I got the third, I, I got third place. And then um, on my second run, I actually performed very, very well. I think I, my net score was, again, the top three mm -hmm. pilots, but then I had a penalty. I was flying a bit low. Um, so I got, and a low is a big penalty because that's a safety sure. related um, infringement and mm. they penalize you uh, quite heavily for that. So um, yeah, and, and, and then basically that wiped out a lot of points and that did not result in, so I did not result in, did not do particularly well for that um, uh, that championship, and yeah, you just learn, right? Like afterwards, I, I said to myself, I still remember I had a, this the scorecard with the low penalty. I always I kept that in my flight folder, so before every race, I will look at it and make sure don't do that again <laughs> because you know, to make a penalty was very upsetting. And yeah, uh, it's just a learning process. Yeah, but that's a good point, actually, to keep something in memory to remind you yeah. what to do and what not to do, like learning from your mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> so you can really keep on track with your dreams to become the uh, to become a, an Air Bull, a Red Bull Air Race pilot. Yeah. So, um, so we are really established that your motivation was pretty incredible from a very young age, as you see, like extremely focused and with an ability to create your own path really regardless yeah. of your hurdles regardless of the difficulties um so then you made it to the um to the air to the red bull program yeah. how did you how did you get into this program because there are like nine pilots in the main in the main uh, circuit and it's like eight people in the challenger circuits or so something like that so anyway that's that's a handful of pilots and to your point, like you are, I think you are competing with the very best space. in the world. Yeah. Um, it, so how, how did I get there? I think it was uh, a, a few different factors. So obviously, they recognised. I think I, I did quite well um, for my uh, considering how inexperienced I was. Mm -hmm. um, 
and in fact, I, I did not even reach the 50%, the top 50% target um, for, for that category. Um, I was, I think, 55%. But if you look at the, uh, that was the first time I was competing in the top category. Mm-hmm. And also, I was flying a plane that I've never flown before, before the, I think, two weeks before the competition, right? I've never had a coach. Everyone, everyone has the same plane during these competitions? No, no. Um, most of them have the very similar, which is the extra 330SC. Okay. Um, but I, I don't have that in Hong Kong. It's a okay. different plane. So um, it was a lower performance plane. It was a two-seater. Um, uh, and I think the really big thing was that I didn't have a coach. So I, I still remember uh, when I went for one of the training camps, the, the, um, I didn't know it was actually the guy was a coach. And then he said, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm, your, uh, I'm just here. I'm not here to fly with you but I'm here to coach you. And that was like two weeks before the competition. And that's, um, he was related to the owner of the aircraft that I was uh, renting um, because that competition was in Europe. And I, I, was, I was like, oh, okay, so you're a coach. He's like, yeah, haven't you had a coach before? I was like, no, I've just been fly, flying with uh, other aerobatic pilots and, you know, I can look at other, you know, the top guys' videos and, uh, Muddle, muddle through that. <laughs> so, so you know, I think when Red Bull, I explained that um, Red Bull has someone on site in that championship. Um, so, you know, of course, I expressed my interest. I said, look, I'm actually only doing this competition aerobatics to get into the air race. And um, I said to him, look, I really want to um, understand how I can improve and how I can get qualified to the top 50%. Um, so I think that was part of the reason my result from the first championship and also was, I think, my relatively young age. And, um, and I was really the only person from, uh, from China that was going to have any chance mm-hmm. at that time to even achieve the, um, to do the aerobatic competition in any category. So I think with all that, in mind and they, they gave me an opportunity which is to go to the quality camp in spain and, and and you did very well we are going to talk about that but your your first races were actually pretty amazing well the first two weren't great i learned <laughs> my mistake and uh, yeah the, 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 the third weekend was very good <laughs> yeah i mean doing what you did after a free weekend it's pretty impressive i mean to anyone's standard actually this is absolutely huge yeah. so maybe you can tell right away what did you do on the third weekend um the third weekend i i just i i yeah just uh i think i just everything clicked you know that the that day was sunday you know uh, the weather was extremely marginal. I think the cloud base was like 700 feet drizzle and, you know, it was extremely low. Um, we were in, uh, in Russia in a city called Kazan mm-hmm. and we weren't even taking off um, out of a normal airport. Right. We were in a go-kart ring in the <laughs> middle of, um, uh, in, in, in a very narrow runway in, in, in a quarry. So it was just to navigate to the race course, which was in pretty much the city center, was a challenge on its own right. And so I think at the time, all the planets were thinking, well, they were probably not going to fly. 
but of course you get ready right I was in my race suit um, I was getting men I was I remember I was just relaxing you know listening to some music just mentally preparing um, visualizing trying to do as much mental preparation as I can so how, how do you how do you prepare yourself mentally what kind of like mental preparation what kind of visualization are you doing can you explain a bit when you say visualization what does that mean to you um, basically running through the track in my mind emotion and adding all the specific little details mm -hmm. um, to remind myself of what I need to do when I'm in the track. When you're saying we, um, adding a lot of details, small details, what kind of yeah. details is that? What kind of, is it like feelings, sensations, or is it like, Uh, some kind of milestones or no usually um usually it's um when it comes to that part which is the um the nitty-gritty part it's usually mm -hmm. very technical so um of course the track especially in an aerosport the track changes um quite a lot with the wind direction mm. um, so you will look at the wind and then you will um plan plan for the racing line so just to give you a practical example is that okay if i win quite strong wind coming blowing me from right to left and i'm entering in the gate then i will already be visualizing before the race okay because the wind is strong coming from my right i need to purposely offset a little bit at that path so then i have a decent angle to go to the next gate I don't know does that make any sense so i mean that's a very small minor detail um i mean the technical part is also um engine management how you're going to cool the engine um what's the correct mixture setting to get the optimum power um to reducing weight of the plane mm -hmm. um from the journey to from the airport to the race course and back you know Um, what else? It's um, how hard you pull. That's always a big one. You know, yeah. if it's a hot, humid day, uh, the aircraft, uh, you, you, there's less air, so the aircraft produces less power. Mm -hmm. And that may affect the performance and your track strategy. So a lot of the, and, and we're talking about very minute, it's all about feeling. Right? Do you, so, yeah, talking about feelings, like do you rehearse as well, like the, Be the force because you take like up to like what is that 10 g's or something like that um rehearse um rehearses in right before in visualization break. like in visualization rehearsal yeah um but i guess once you've done it uh when once that's your job you sort of know at that turn you know uh the g-force is going to be pushing you and you need to strain you need to squeeze your legs so right. it comes quite naturally yeah mm. okay okay Yeah, that's pretty impressive. So back to your back to your race. Actually, uh, you're on the third weekend. Yeah. Uh, is it is it on this race that uh, some of your gears were lost or they arrived late and you have to borrow some gloves or something? No, that was the same location, but uh, two years later. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I think that. Yeah. Um, between that and my first win, I think um, they those two were probably one of my best. Um, victories uh no so that that one was um 
the, the first weekend, it was just a matter of, I, I was the first pilot to go. So mm -hmm. no one, um, I, I was actually the guinea pig. So all the right. pilots were looking at me yeah. uh, to see how the track condition is, where, where the wind was coming from, um, how is he going to even come back to the airfield? Because I think one pilot got lost on the way back. <laughs> I think you have like, what, 10 minutes of fuel remaining in the middle of Russia, um, literally in the middle of Russia, right? And you've, from that flight path, you fly right through a military base. Oh, um, gosh. You don't Russia. want to get lost there. <laughs> and on the left, there's actually a big runway where there were, I think, the bad bombers, you know, the four-engine nuclear yeah. bombers. So, so you really, yeah, you don't want to get lost and have to land there because um, I'm not sure you're going to make it out there anytime soon. <laughs> I have the flight booked for Monday morning. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but of course, with all that um, outside factor affecting um, your decision-making process, uh, some, at some stage you just need to be so focused on... Um, just that race itself, you know, mm -hmm. how are you going to do it? What was the wind condition like? Um, at that day, because there was also rain, um, it was raining with, a, yeah, obviously moderate drizzle. Um, so with with the rain, it actually adds um, a, a lot of drag onto the wing. So when you pull and it's wet, it's actually, um, uh, it's much easier to store, uh, which is, uh, which, which affects your time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, you know, all that was played into my factor. I think a few of the very experienced pilots got, um, they all, a few of them made um, mistakes. Like one, I think hit two pylons, another uh, made the incorrect level at some gates. And yeah. So from that, some, with some luck, I managed to win my first race. Well, so congratulations for that. <laughs> and I'd like to ask you a question as well. You're talking about like hitting a pylon. Yeah. So with your sport, your planes are going so fast that if you get distracted, even by half of a second, it's pretty much like race over. 400 kilometers an hour, like one second is like, I don't know, I don't know, like two, two, 300 meters. I have no idea. Yeah, anyway, so you're traveling to yeah, 200 meters. Yeah, so <laughs> that's, that's pretty much game over. So how do you train yourself? to be in the moment, to be absolutely 100% present in the moment. So you're always focusing on what is happening right now. There are two parts to this. So first is that your body needs to be in the moment. By that I mean, because this is really, um, you, you need to feel all the sensation, right? Like you need to feel the engine vibrating, you need to feel that the wing um, is flying, you need to be cognizant of the wind sound coming over the wing because uh, especially when you are at these vertical mm -hmm. uh, vertical turning maneuvers uh, or the half loop maneuvers um because that's when you, you you will hear the wing is breaking away from the wing mm. so you, you you that is about the present but in terms of the flying side your mind is, should be way you know at least 300 meters, two gates in front of what you're actually currently in and just use your peripheral vision. Mm. Um, what I mean by that is that because if you're not prepared for the next gate, then you have to do a lot of alteration to position yourself back into that optimum racing line. 
Does, uh, does that make sense? It does make sense. So you need completely, you need to be constantly split between being in the moment to understand what's happening around you, not yeah. to be distracted by whatever just happened, but take that into consideration to adjust constantly what is happening. And at the same time, get your mind on autopilot so yeah. you can anticipate. Uh, yeah. So you have your, your conscious mind and your subconscious mind kind of like working together, like full power during the race. Yeah, I, I say so. Yeah. Um, it's, and you know, sometimes it doesn't really um, happen to me a few times where because of the wind, usually um, it pushes your aircraft out of that optimum line and that really unsettles the mind. So mm. you have to make some instantaneous decision on how you can rectify that situation as well mm. so it's about having your body fully immersed in the current but your mind being just a few seconds ahead of it yeah. completely focused and being aware of what's the changing dynamics of what you visualize the difference between that. so it means as well being like so good at it that it becomes like a second nature because you don't have to process that cognitively so this is like absorbing all the I would say all the external elements, but yeah. make them so, in, it becomes like an intuition. It becomes like a second nature. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Like you don't think about, um, like I don't think about whenever I have to pull the stake, it goes up, move the stake a little bit to the left, it goes left, you know, it doesn't really, it's, it's all, it's, it's basically running with, um, with a set of wings strapped to your back. Yeah, exactly. And, and in your case, what I, what I find particularly uh, exciting actually in your sport is that there is not only a connection between the mind and the body, but there is a connection as well with the plane. And, uh, and, and you guys are so strapped into yeah. the plane that actually your, your body and the plane makes only one. So in essence, yeah. you are really like your mind and you get a combination of the body and the plane together, right? Yeah, yeah. I would say that's a very good, um, and that does, there's no, in no other airplanes that I've flown or helicopters for that matter, um, that could mimic that feeling, especially, um, generally when you fly, you don't, um, push to the limit, right? Yeah. Like when you're flying a commercial plane. Yeah. You don't we we really appreciate that for by the way. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, there's so much more limit that's built into what, uh, um, the day-to-day -day operation is, whereas in racing, it's, it's really, you're always right at the limit. I mean, we're talking about sometimes, I mean, the, my last pylon in, in Japan was that much clipping a pylon. So, I, I mean, that much traveling at 400 kilometers an hour, it's just... It's yeah. marginal, it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so when it comes to mental preparation, um, I understand that you have never watched, you have never worked with a coach, so you have basically self-trained, just learn by doing. Um, is it true? Yeah. In some some aspect, yes. Yeah. So what are what are the other aspects that you have trained with with someone and got some? In terms of uh, we we I think we spoke about it last time. Like we you know they they taught the visualization the yep. basic of it, um, okay. the, which which is what I've discussed with you. That that has that we've had some help with against that. Yes, and I understand you told me as well. Like when you were visualizing, uh, the visualization was so real to you that your heart rate 
was yeah. climbing to 165 or something like that. Yeah. While you were on the ground. <laughs> yeah. While I was not flying. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 but I think that's also one of the key. It's then you really put your body in a situation, which is very strange if you think about it. I mean, it was a beautiful summer European morning. I mean, it was 20 degrees and you're on the ground. Uh, I mean, why were guys suddenly walking around doing nothing? Um, I wasn't even running, right? Yeah, yeah. Heart rate was 165. Uh, I mean, if you compare that to, in reality, I'm in a plane, it's very loud, I'm strapped in, in my racing gear, um, pulling 10 Gs, having, what, 700 kilos push on me. But I, I can mimic almost exactly the same heart rate. I mean, that, that's... Um, it, that really helps to put you in that situation to be prepared. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. I mean, the, the power of the brain and having this ability to mimic a yeah. real event just by thinking of it, by imagine, imagining the, uh, the event is, is absolutely mind-blowing, I would say. So yeah, so we are talking about visualization. So visualization is actually pretty impressive, actually. Uh, the, the ability of the brain actually to mimic our reality uh, and, and make it happening as if it was absolutely real. But in a sense as well, the way you, uh, you build up your, your dream um, to, become, to become what you became is not really different. Because yeah. at the beginning, nothing was real. It was only in your, in your head, just thinking of it, and you made it happen. That's true, yeah. <laughs> So you have been uh, so you had the opportunity to um, to race against the best in the world. Uh, have you been impressed mentally by some of these pilots? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you, you know, they come from a whole wide range of um, experience, right? Like we have the. I was for the first season. I was racing with Ben. He's the youngest Red Arrow uh, leader. Mm -hmm. um, for the Royal Air Force, for, for, for your viewers who don't know what um, Red Arrows is, is um, the UK aerobatic display team. Mm -hmm. And for him to be the youngest leader, and before he was a fast jet pilot, you know, basically, um, he would be my idol, you know. Um, and I'm racing against him. It's, it's, it's quite surreal. I mean, there were also... Um, it, a lot of well-known world champion aerobatic pilots um, that were invited in the Red Bull Air Race. So that, you know, to see what they go through, the work that they've put in to be in that position and to do it day in, day out with the air racing was really impressive. What do you think they do different uh, from what you're doing? Um, now that the race is over, I really should ask them, but during the race, <laughs> We, uh, because, I mean, it is a very serious, we, we take the competition quite seriously. So I don't think we were sharing much of that. <laughs> um, if, if anything, most people were probably a bit coy when it comes to mm. sharing that sort of um, the details yeah. of how to <laughs> improve on yourself. Because it's all about like marginal gains. In yeah, people, right? yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's sometimes a tenth or um, a hundredth of a second. So. So in terms of preparation, so besides visualization, um, have you been using any other kind of like mental preparation? Do you do some sort of like mindfulness exercise or meditation or anything else? 
Yeah, I, um, I find meditation helps a lot, um, just on a day-to-day basis, especially in managing stress. And of course, um, with the racing schedule was, um, and also normal life, family life, you know, all that adds up. Um, being in a city like in Hong Kong, I think it probably adds a few notches in the stress barometer. If, yeah. uh, <laughs> thankfully, I didn't live in the city, so uh, that helps a little bit. Um, yeah, so meditation, you know, just to reduce the general stress and have that time to 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 think and you know when you sit down you really eat slowly enjoy the food taste the food you know just mm-hmm. yeah, i think all that helps you know, having been having a balanced diet um exercising and being focused when you when you're required to mm-hmm. yeah i think this is one of the um one of the elements as well like having a balanced life in terms of diet in terms of exercising having like a mental uh, balance as well doing yep. meditation doing mindfulness uh, doing all sort of things that keep us actually uh, in a good um, in a good healthy uh, state basically yeah no, but, uh, it really helps you focus that's one thing um, with out the air racing part I think the meditation has also helped in pretty much all the aspects of um, my general life but I'm a victim I am uh, guilty of not doing it often enough <laughs> Especially, I think, when moment of stress, um, it's probably sometimes you just it's one of the things that people forget. So yes, that is true. I, I will send you. I will send you my meditation program, Skinny, so you can uh, you can try them when you have some free time. <laughs> it's only ten minutes a day, so it's okay. manageable. <laughs> so tell me what what has been the most challenging uh, moment in your in your career? My aerosol career. I, I will say 2019 in Kazan. Um, it was probably, yeah, it, well, it was the most challenging, um, but with a variety of factors. Um, you know, I went from the high of um, leading the World Championship um, uh, with a historic double win at Wiener Neustadt in Austria to being in Indianapolis and not being able to race on race day. And, uh, and I was ill on the other race, uh, well, the grand final. So, um, and that was in 2018, October. And Kazan, and my rec- next race event was, I think, in June or July in 2019. So, um, you know, that was almost eight, nine months without racing. Mm. And to and and then I lost my bags. Uh, I think this is something. Also, it's very, it's strange to say, but um, wearing my own race shoes, wearing my own racing gear, my own gloves, my helmet, the helmet I had, um, because it was hand carried. But not having a lot of my stuff just made me instantane, instantly uncomfortable. And mm. I remember I was having a horrid. FP one and two, um, perform a little bit better on the on FP three, um, yeah, and, and then for my bags to arrive and I, it was um, it was really a good feeling. But to to even then to 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 win without having my own gear was was yeah was very happy. 
Yeah, that's pretty impressive, actually. So, yeah, because the brain actually hates what is unfamiliar. Yeah. So especially like in your sport, where it's all about repetition, it's a matter of like split of a second. So when something comes like that, I mean, you get a bit of this, I mean, you, you get distracted a little bit and at yeah. subconscious level that plays a role. So how did you manage to, I would say, even recover from that and just refocus and, 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 and got this amazing race? Um, I, some, actually, at first, I didn't think it was going to affect me that much. So we had these flight testing days. I think it was a Wednesday, Thursday, where I was flying without my racing shoes with, um, and without racing gloves. I actually felt, you know what, it's not too bad, right? Like, it, it's okay, I'm not that comfortable. But then when I was actually in the racetrack, I felt I was all over the place. You know, I, I felt... Mm at that point I didn't have the right grip and then I feel like my shoulder harness was cutting into my 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 uh, my, my um, race suit and it was causing discomfort mm-hmm. it was just un- unpleasant and I was quite surprised because I would think you know being in a race course that low towards the ground you were you you know you have probably one second if you make a mistake you're dead mm-hmm. you're hitting the water so even in that life and death situation, I would have thought the adrenaline would have overcome my my sensation yeah. per se. But of course, I rely on that sure. to give me that racing instinct. So, um, how I overcame it, I I guess I, I just tried to get used to it, um, and um, I stuck to the strategy that I had, which really did win me the race. It was the last turn that I um, gain, I think, two tenths of a second to beat uh, Sammy. Um, and um, th- th- my strategy was different to everyone else's. And then the next day, everyone copied mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Pre- that's, that's, that's pretty impressive. So we, we are talking about your sport and you were talking about like, yeah. if, you make a, if you make a mistake, one second. Uh, and you can hit the water. Uh, and, and I remember last time when we talked about yeah. your sport and you, tell, you, you, you told me that basically you don't have any fear uh, because it's pretty much controlled and, uh, and you know what you're doing. Um, are you afraid of anything? Yeah. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> I think there are many things that uh, keep me up at night. Unfortunately, um, yeah. So what scares you? What scares me? Um, what scares me? Wow, that's a... Um, things that I, you know, things sometimes is out of your control and, you know, you have to learn how to overcome that. And... Um, you know, you know, when it comes to racing, it's um, somewhat, it's actually a focused sport and it's a very well structured, right? Like you have a big team, I think 500 people in, working in the background at, on the race site, uh, let alone the back office, right? So, and once you're in that environment, you have your team there just to give you support. And um, whereas you don't really have that structure 
structure in real life uh, mm. sometimes and you have to build that and a lot of time it's not um, and when we're racing we're doing it for one week um, whereas in, in life I think uh, sometimes people chuck a few curveball at you and yeah it, but I'm, I'm definitely the type of person who believe you know you just have to deal with it um, rise above it really but what you're what you're saying actually is very interesting because that's a very good metaphor for what life is about a lot of people actually they get scared they get fear but they get scared because yeah. they have not been exposed to it um, and, and and the more we make ourselves familiar with something just like yourself in your sport then the fear kind of like vanished because you know that you can control much more thing that uh, it looks like from the outside. And the second thing you mentioned as well is like the importance of, of having a team around us, people you can rely on, uh, who can help you, who can support you. And uh, I mean, your sport is a good metaphor for life as well. I mean, of course, I mean, you, you are in the cockpit. Um, you, 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 you are this plane. Uh, but in fact, there is a huge uh, there is a huge crew who is working with you, supporting you, making sure that everything actually um, works perfectly. So you can actually give the very best of yourself and you can make the very best out of a plane. Yeah, definitely. Um, to, to add a little bit more to the fear, one thing I've um, realized is, um, I think there's always a certain element of fear. Um, and that is helpful in like if i wasn't you know if i was with that little bit of fear you sort of put in more dedication right like you you may not cross that risk factor yeah yeah um however i i, I actually think fear when it, it can ease very easily becomes very unhealthy mm-hmm. and i generally find that in, at least in day-to-day life, is that people make the most stupid decision based on fear. Ah, very true. Um, and, and they, because of fear, they do some really, really stupid things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I think my experience, um, I, I try to um, mitigate that by understanding what I'm scared of, understanding how... I can handle it and get on top of that fear and instead of letting that fear consume you. Yeah, that's a very good one. I mean, developing like self-awareness, understanding actually what really we are scared of is like so essential and very few people yeah. actually do that. And I mean, in your sport, obviously, that's, uh, that's absolutely essential. Yeah. Um, so what do you think is the biggest lesson that you have learned with experience? With, in terms of air racing? Um, yes, maybe, maybe not technically, but I would say as a, as a person growing up in the sport uh, with, all the, the, with all the pressure, <laughs> all the success. and Focus. Um, I, I think uh, one thing, I, I, I don't think I have a skill set as... Um, that's that unique, you know, but um, by being very, very focused and driven by passion, I think I've managed to achieve what um, a lot of people would not have thought that was possible. 
and um, and I'm trying to use that the same methodology now to move on to different ventures of, of life and uh, hopefully that will uh, serve me well in the future yeah good luck for that and I, I'm, I'm certainly sure that, uh, that it, I absolutely agree with you on that I mean whatever I can actually see from elite athletes is completely transferable to other, any other compartment of life, whether it's professional or, or social or, or familial, definitely. So we are almost approaching the end of this, uh, of this podcast. Uh, so before my very last question, okay. um, I really would like to acknowledge you, Kenny, uh, for being such an inspiration uh, for so many people, because I would like to acknowledge you for someone who really believed in his dream, you believed in yourself, and you made it happen, uh, no matter the circumstances, no matter the hurdles and the lack of infrastructures and everything, and you made it happen, and, and I just want to acknowledge you for that, because this is very, very much needed, I think, in this world now, having people who can actually show inspiration and show that this is possible as long as we believe in ourselves. And we've got a very specific and very clear dream because I think this is what made you reach the top. So I would like to acknowledge you for that. Thank you very much. And, and, my, and my very last question, Kenny, is if you had the opportunity to go back in time and meet a young version of Kenny, at what, I, at what age would you go back? And with your wisdom of today, what would you tell the young Kenny? Oh. <laughs> well, you prepared for these questions, do you? Um, can I answer that in 20 years? <laughs> so maybe uh, the 60-year-old, 30 years, when the 60-year-old me can come back to me and tell me what to do, <laughs> rather than me going back now. Yeah. Um, no, because really, when it comes to air racing, um, uh, despite we're not racing now anymore, but um, and of course we hope that we're going to be racing, but there was certainly no regret. Um, and that was my dream. We managed, I, I was very, very lucky to have been able to do it. I only wish I was, could have done it more, but um, yeah, so, so with that, I actually, now you ask me that, thinking back to it, maybe I would have. Let me think. I have to do some maps here. Red Bull ended, because Red Bull stopped, I think, in 2013, and they stopped for three years. Um, uh, 2013. Yeah, so maybe going back to young Kenny, who had been, yeah, at 18, to say, solid, don't bother with doing flying the airliners, go straight into aerobatics and hope <laughs> to get into a race seat at 2000 and eight or 2009 and, uh, and at least do that for three years and then have three years break and then do it for another three years <laughs> and do that three years gap get, get a degree or something you know um yeah that would have been some sound advice wouldn't it <laughs> that would have given me a lot more life experience <laughs> well thank you so much kenny I really, really enjoy our conversation and thank you so much uh, for spending time with me. I know you're very busy, so I really no, appreciate no, that. No, no, during this COVID, it's uh, just, uh, this week has been a bit busier than normal. <laughs> thank you very much and have a great day. Thank you. And if you have enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share with a friend and subscribe. See you in the next episode.